Welcome to the Leadership Development Group's Health Ecosystem Leadership Podcast Series. We're excited to have you join us. My name is Tracy Duberman. I'm the founder and CEO of the Leadership Development Group. We are a global coaching and leadership development consultancy with an exclusive focus in the health industry. Over the years, we've had the distinct pleasure of working with some of the brightest talent in our industry, leaders who are clearly making a difference in the work they do to provide high quality care for those in need while designing approaches to enhance health and wellness. The purpose of this podcast series is to showcase how leadership is the essential ingredient to address the ever-growing issues and challenges facing the U.S. healthcare industry. As we know through our work, the great majority of these challenges are too complex and wide-ranging for any one sector to solve independently. This is where a health ecosystem leadership approach pays more than significant dividends. Solutions which emphasize how the various sectors of the health industry operate interdependently are the only ones with the potential to deliver on critical imperatives like affordability, access, and outcomes. During this podcast series, we will introduce you to some of the best and brightest health ecosystem leaders who will share practical examples of how they have successfully demonstrated a collaborative mindset, as well as the critical behaviors that lead to positive outcomes for their organizations, their patients, and the communities they serve. Welcome to the show. I am thrilled to have today uh, joining us Mr. Robert Allen, who is the Senior Vice President and Chief Operations Officer at Intermountain Healthcare. I am uh, very, very grateful to uh, Dr. Mark Harrison for the introduction to you, uh, Mr. Allen, and I'm very excited to have you join. By way of introduction, for those of you that are unfamiliar, which I'm sure there aren't too many of our listeners that are unfamiliar with the great work of Intermountain, needless to say, Intermountain Healthcare is a not-for-profit health system of 23 hospitals, 170 clinics, a medical group, and a health plans division. Rob Allen is leading a transition to value-based care consistent with Intermountain's mission of helping people live their healthiest lives possible. As SVP and COO, he currently leads teams of key leaders focused on healthcare delivery across the Intermountain healthcare system. He is an accomplished healthcare executive with experience in outreach, telehealth, life flight, home care, clinical support services, and environment of care services. With over 25 years of leadership experience, Rob has served in executive positions at hospitals and health systems in Wyoming, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Utah. He is a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives, holds an MBA from Utah State University and a bachelor's degree in operations management from Brigham Young University. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you. Nice <laughs> to be here today. Thank you so much. Boy, you've, uh, you've spanned the, uh, the nation in terms of your experience um, within healthcare. So um, just by way of background for our audience, could you tell us a little bit more about your background? Um, what brought you to healthcare executive leadership, and then describe a bit about your role at Intermountain Healthcare that I haven't covered in the uh, introduction. Well, thank you. I, my healthcare journey started many years ago, um, not because I've been in healthcare industry for a long time, but added because uh, my mother was a nurse and I grew up in a home where I watched her um, in a small community in rural Wyoming 
anytime an ambulance would go down the highway, she would head to the house to call the ER to see if they needed help. We lived about six miles from the hospital, and, and that intrigued me. And when I got into college and was studying business, healthcare continued to be an area of interest for me and ultimately led me um, to healthcare as a career path for me. Uh, one thing that was clear early on is uh, people probably didn't want me taking care of them clinically like my mother did for them, but uh, the business side uh, provided opportunities for me to be involved in healthcare and add to the mission and the service and the benefit to communities. So that's where my journey started. And uh, from there, uh, you've read through some of the history with this. I had an opportunity early in my career to, at my first hospital, uh, be the CFO of a small rural hospital. And I went to school at night to get my master's degree. And I, right after I graduated, I had an opportunity to become the administrator at that hospital. And that began my journey in the uh, administrative role. Uh, served as the CEO there, CEO of New Jersey, Massachusetts, and then rejoined Intermountain Healthcare about 12 years ago, where I've had an opportunity to participate in both hospital leadership and corporate system function leadership. And you've noted those uh, here, but it's been a great journey and exciting. And uh, I think there's great opportunities in healthcare. It was when I entered the industry. And I think even more so today, there's great opportunities for leaders to make a meaningful impact in the communities we serve. And no, no doubt about it. And it's it's so interesting to me. The more leaders like you that I interview, it seems that there's such a calling um, for work within this industry. Um, even my, me personally, I, um, I I started out undergrad wanting to be a doctor, and uh, couldn't make it through that Chem 125 class. So I quickly uh, re, re re looked at my my journey and decided that I'd like to be in support of, and therefore went after um, my master's. In public health, and 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 it, it took off from there in terms of my work within administration. Um, but there is definitely a, a, a there's this tapestry that's weaved through most of the leaders that I speak to, whether they are physician leaders or executive leaders like you and I, um, that there is a, a calling to the healthcare profession. So you mentioned uh, returning to Intermountain Healthcare. So that's something I didn't know. Did you begin your career there? I. Uh Yes, I guess uh, in hospitals I did. I, I worked in long-term care out of college for a, a year and a half. And then uh, my first hospital opportunity was with Intermountain Healthcare, and it was a rural hospital in Wyoming. Uh, that's where I served as the CFO and then as the administrator. And uh, Intermountain left that market and uh, sold the hospital to another organization, and I went to work for them. So after 11 years with Intermountain, I left the system through that uh, transition that occurred. And had the great fortune of rejoining the system, as I said, about 12 years ago. Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. It's like coming back home. It is. <laughs> so you've um, you started your career, as you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, about 20, I guess, 25 years ago in terms of leadership experience. And I am sure over the course of time, your leadership style has evolved. And because we are, are talking a bit about leadership and uh, the importance of it in in defining what is required to encourage population health management across the different sectors of the health industry. I'd love for you to describe a little bit about your leadership style. What, pe what would people say about you? That's a, it's a great question, and I always struggle to succinctly respond to that question when asked it. There are so many things that go into leadership and so many pieces of how we as leaders, I think, are made up and, and then choose to respond uh, to the, to the responsibilities we have and to the people that we work with. But I think uh, starting early in my career with Intermountain was, a for me, a great blessing. Uh, this organization is relentlessly mission-driven. 
And that's how I got acquainted with healthcare. And uh, it fit with the reason I got into healthcare, but I didn't appreciate how uh, relentless in the mission drive Intermountain was compared to other some other organizations until after I had left the system. Um, and so one of the things that uh, I learned early on was that drive for mission is what connects us together. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would say about my leadership style is it is mission driven. Mm -hmm. um, we're all here together for a purpose. Sometimes uh, our daily duties and responsibilities can put us even at odds with one another within an organization. But when we stop and think about why we're here and we uh, reconnect on that uh, basis, uh, we pull together very well uh, to do positive things. So the very first thing about me, I would say, is those early lessons run deep for me and we're mission driven. I, I also uh, like to focus on the teams and be team focused in the work we do. It takes a lot of people to do what we do in healthcare. No one can do what we do alone. And uh, the team working together is critical. Uh, that said, too, in leadership roles, we hire other leaders to do jobs. And it is really important, I believe, that in particularly senior leadership roles, that we are supporting those people we've hired to do the job and letting them do the job we hired them to do. And uh, those folks I've come over the years to understand very deeply are uh, equally committed to why, why we're here and what we're trying to accomplish. And sometimes as leaders, we just need to get out of the way and let uh, those that are around us accomplish great things. And uh, I've had the great fortune of working with great teams, great leaders who've accomplished wonderful things. and. Many times I'm just blessed to be, be to the side and be a part of that journey with them. That's excellent. I, you're, you're being incredibly humble um, and very modest, but I, I did pick out some, some key competencies that I heard you talk about, which I think are really important to reiterate. The first of which is um, the idea that you said about being mission-driven. I would take it even a step further. It sounds to me like you really demonstrate servant leadership, especially when you started to talk about giving people empowerment to do the jobs that they are hired to do, which is so important today. Um, there's so much to do that um, not being able to delegate and having people work at the highest level of their licensure is going to be a derailleur in, uh, in terms of health systems um, being successful. And then you also mentioned um, collab collaboration. Um, and, and I want to touch about on that a little bit as we get into uh, some of the more specific questions in the podcast. Um, you talked a lot about trust. Um, and so uh, I, I think that's a, a, a big part as well, not only trust of the individuals within your own organization, but clearly as we step outside our organizations to do the work of population health, we have to trust others um, and align on intention, which I think is really important. So thank you very much. That was lovely. Um, you have been with uh, Intermountain now, you said, uh, once again, for 12 years. So in thinking back, what would you say are your top uh, two, let's say, bi biggest successes since you rejoined Intermountain? That's, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, you, you look at your journey, and first, it's hard to pull out individual successes because so many people are involved in it. And and secondly, there's so many things you get involved with that uh, could be on the list. But I, I have to start by thinking about, you know, our mission drive and creating value and what we focus on at Intermountain and the journey that we're on and really looking within that around quality, accessibility, affordability as key drivers of what our responsibility is to deliver to the communities. And with that in mind, um, a couple of thoughts that I guess uh, come to mind in looking at expanding quality and affordability and access in, in rural areas, we've developed uh, new networks. I had the opportunity after rejoining Intermountain Healthcare to 
to leave the work in Park City with a new hospital. And it was a uh, community that hadn't had a hospital for over 50 years. Um, interestingly for me, there was a special uh, connection as well. My grandfather was born there in 1889. Wow. Um, and so it was kind of a coming home uh, for me. And, and that was kind of fun to, to be in a community where I knew I had some roots that were connected way back, not in current years, but way back. And, and then helping bring healthcare back to that community. Uh, and that was fun. We were able to start a new hospital, which, you know, many uh, hospital leaders get to build new hospitals and move operations into new facilities. But this was one of those rare opportunities where it's from scratch. And in healthcare, you never get the opportunity to get all your staff together at once. That's true. Unless you're starting a brand new hospital. And then before you actually open the doors to the public, you have the chance to get everybody together and and build that esprit de corps and really focus on what you're all there to, to accomplish. And we had a great team and it was a lot of fun to do that, to bring healthcare there and to see the team function. They pulled together, I, you know, just very proud of what they accomplished in that process. And with the focus on our mission, vision and values, uh, serving that community very well and committed to excellence in every aspect, uh, they were recognized as a team um, not long after we opened within the first few years as one of the top, 1% of hospitals in the country for patient satisfaction, wow. uh, engagement in the community. And that was very fulfilling for me for all the reasons I just stated and uh, grateful for that opportunity. Uh, but that would be one of the successes I would have on my list as I look at uh, my career journey. Another one that uh, is a little more recent for us and in this journey towards excellence and assuring that we're delivering value to our community, uh, we reorganized Intermountain Healthcare, announced that reorganization in uh, October of 2017 mm -hmm. and this last year have been on that journey and really focused around how do we redefine our work more specifically around the patient mm -hmm. so as we look at bringing value we recognize that in healthcare um, we have built the systems of healthcare largely around either the clinician processes or the business processes both of which are necessary and important but uh, the patient is most important and when we think about value in the future, we've got to be very laser focused on the patient, what they need, uh, delivering services to them where, when, and how they want it. And is that service affordable for them? That's a big challenge in healthcare today. And so as we've thought about value, uh, one of the accomplishments would be the journey we've been on in reorganizing to bring that uh, value back to the community and grateful that we can say that not only have we redesigned our processes on many fronts to focus more intently on the patient and what the patient needs inside our hospitals as well as outside in the community, in their homes? We also have started to uh, see the fruits of the labors in returning value back to the community. Mm. And we've been able to reduce costs uh, in some cases for patients, which is a real challenge in healthcare and something that I think we've got to do more of if we're going to truly fulfill our mission in the long term looking mm. ahead. That's excellent. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that because I'm, I'm very interested in the uh, the reengineering of Intermountain Healthcare um, in terms of this uh, this vertical integration that 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 you just mentioned. Um, however, all I'd like to also focus on uh, another question, which is we talked a bit about successes. Obviously, I'm there probably were challenges throughout both of those successes that you just mentioned, or there may be others that you want to point to, but what were some of the challenges that you focused uh, or that you saw and, and were able to overcome uh, in your roles within Intermountain? Well, 
the you know talking about the reorganization that was been a massive undertaking and i certainly uh would list it as one of our successes but it'd have to be at the top of the list of one of the challenges as well it's uh, not an easy process to try and remake a, an organization that has been so successful and you know i am blessed to be able to be a leader in an organization like intermountain where the history of leadership since its foundation in 1975 have done a phenomenal job of meeting the charge they were given. Uh, when the assets were given um, to them to start this uh, organization, they were charged with creating or building a model health system. And that has been the focus of our leaders ever since then. And so as we look at what the future needs and recognize we need to evolve further, we're blessed with a rich history of evolution um, that allowed Intermountain to be a model. So you take a model system and say, it's fantastic today in so many ways. What do we have to do with it tomorrow? And change is hard to begin with, but change at a time when an organization is strong and has a great history already and to get to where we're at is actually a little more challenging than taking an organization that's in distress. Yeah. Um, it's a little harder to help people understand the why. That takes more work um, to get there. It also creates a lot of anxiety for people when you're in a time of change and you're making major shifts and, and people worry about their own stability and what does their job look like and uh, are they going to have a job and uh, things that get construed, you know, our minds go to interesting places and in a process of change and we made a very distinct decision to involve people in those discussions and how it would be um, defined. We, we brought forward the broad context and said, look, folks, over the next year, we're going to make this journey together. That was good from the standpoint that people could be involved, and I think it helps you heal from change faster when people are involved in the design. But it also gives you a window of time that is longer when people are anxious mm. because they know change is there. It's in the works. You know, a lot of times change happens in a back room and people don't know about it, so they don't worry about it. In this case, we brought it forward right from the front, and uh, they knew about it and they worried about it and they concerned a bit in it. And so you worry about that for your people. And, and my heart, uh, you know, you tug at the heartstrings at times thinking about some of the anxiety that folks are having in the journey, but uh, getting them involved together and making that journey together for the right reasons is very meaningful. And one of the things about our caregivers at Intermountain, uh, as they understood where healthcare was going, we were able to talk with them about that. People did not, um, in many ways, question the changes or, or raise concern about why we were doing it. They were understanding that to fulfill our mission, we needed to make those changes and to move ahead. What they worried about is what does that really mean? Mm. And can we continue to do the good things we're doing? And will the structure allow us and support us? And so it's kind of helping people down that road of understanding what are we doing? Why are we doing it? How will that actually allow us to keep doing good things? And then in essence, do them better, do them more effective and efficient in a way that delivers that value back to the community. And so it's taking that journey with your team. And that's been one of the challenges is uh, helping people along that journey. And we've had great folks along that with us. And we're grateful for the journey we've taken and where we're at in it. But that would have to be up there. It's been a, it's been a heavy lift for everybody um, for all the right reasons. We're grateful for progress we've made. Mm -hmm. Another one that I would say, and it, it ties to this one, but it is really one of the challenges that I think we have in healthcare in general today. And that is, how do we make healthcare affordable? We have got to do things differently. And uh, one of the challenges health systems have is that there's such a consumer demand for this that if we don't fix it, somebody else will. Right. And there are numerous, uh, you know, countless numbers of startup organizations working on 
different ways to provide parts of the healthcare service continuum. The biggest concern I have with that is if we fail as health systems to deliver effectively on the change and transformation that our communities need and demand of us, that others will fill the gaps, but they'll fill them in niches. And so the consumer will get pieces that are very valuable, maybe very cost effective at times, but do they provide that ongoing journey support that people need or are they disconnected? And I think we have a really unique opportunity as an integrated delivery network at Intermountain and other systems across the country have the same opportunity to really look at how we remake ourselves in a way that delivers value. And we're in a position because we provide insurance and can take folks that are in that insurance process. And we have about 40% of our population that we serve that are in um, insurance structures where we get the premium dollar. And then we can determine how best to take care of people along with people in that journey. And if we can keep people healthy, it allows us additional resource to invest in that. Yeah. Um, that's a different equation than the, the traditional hospital of, you know, how many patients show up in the ER, how many patients, uh, you know, get an x-ray. And your entire business model is built around people using that high-end service. Um, we want to figure out how to balance that because the high-end services are so expensive. We will not get healthcare affordable if we can't change that model. Um, mm. Somewhat, there'll always be a need for high-end service, and uh, we want to stand ready to care for folks at that time. But we think there's a broader need and a better way that uh, we are working hard to, to move ourselves towards. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate the fact that you've highlighted um, one of the key ingredients that's required for any of this to work. And when I say any of this, I mean really focusing on population health, as opposed to providing sick care, and that does require the system to own the premium dollar so that they can establish value-based programs that focus on prevention um, in those areas that we're, we're close to, which is the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, tri-state area. We haven't yet moved as far along as you, you all have um, in terms of value-based reimbursement. And I think that's a key ingredient that we oftentimes overlook uh, that's really, really important to make this work. I think you're exactly correct. And if you look at the business model, it really goes down to the fundamentals of the business model. Yeah. How do services get paid for? What services are paid for? And if you're a provider in that uh, stream of work and, and the dollar flow, how do you extract um, resources needed to provide the services you've defined where the patients need? And uh, how can you do that in an economical way? That's not easy. Yeah, well, listen, that's why people are watching Intermountain Healthcare because you're doing it and you're doing it really, really well. That's not to say there haven't been you know, tremendous challenges along the way, but you're really doing an, an amazing job. I, um, I appreciate the, the, the system and I, I, I love learning from, from all that you do. And I want to also acknowledge the fact that in a, in a change process, you are really following textbook theory, which is around openness and transparency because change isn't easy, but the more you involve people people in the process and defining what the solution should be, uh, the, the better off it is for everyone. So um, I appreciate your perspective on that. So moving, moving on, on the topic of change, the healthcare industry obviously is seeing many organizations <clears throat> move like you have toward a vertically integrated structure so that they can offer patient care services either directly or through others. Can you tell us how Intermountain manages potential leadership issues associated with this vertical restructuring trend? 
what I'm really interested in is how you've engaged your hospital leaders to think both like a system while acting locally. That's a great question. And uh, having been a hospital uh, CEO for many years, I understand that local uh, need and the challenges of systemness. Um, and yet, if you don't connect the system together, I don't think you can ultimately bring the value to the community at large. One of the key things of our undertaking this change journey was to bring Intermountain Strength more consistently to our patients and communities wherever they connect with us. And uh, even though Intermountain's had a lot of great success, we recognized there were still some gaps and that experiences weren't as consistent as we think the community would expect of us and frankly, we expect of ourselves. So when you think about that journey, we talked a little bit already about the change journey. You know, it really is talking about the why. Um, and uh, because we've got mission-driven leaders, uh, they've really connected well with the why. But then you have the misalignment of incentives, misalignment of work that is the history of healthcare. We talked about needing to realign uh, more targeted with the patient. And when you think of a hospital leader, um, what has been my alignment is to make sure the hospital is viable. Um, it's to make sure that the community is served well. Uh, and it's to make sure that uh, patients have a good experience at my hospital. Um, and that may be uniquely different than my neighboring sister hospital down the street or, you know, across town. Um, but in this system-wide approach, you're trying to connect those experiences together. And so the real balance for us is how do you start talking about and moving towards having a structure where it is system-led, but it is locally deployed and your local teams have latitude to assure that the patient's needs are met. Because the risk in this, I mean, on the one hand, where we've been, you have the risk that you don't have consistency. You have the risk that you don't bring the strength of the system to bear for the benefit of every patient. When you go the other way, you could swing so far that the system takes over and you create such a rigid structure that the patient who has a specific need that doesn't fit in the box doesn't get that need met. And that's not good either. So you're trying to find that sweet spot in the middle where you draw the strength of the system and yet the local team has latitude to make sure every patient's getting what they need and how they need it when they, when they come to you. So you look at the aligned incentives. We talk a lot about how do we hold leaders harmless? So if we make a system decision that changes the playing field for one of our hospitals, we need to make sure that the leaders in that hospital or the system service, if it plays the other way, that their expectations are adjusted, what we expect of them, in a fashion that meets with the new reality. Um, because I think one of the biggest challenges you can have is you get these misaligned incentives and people are being penalized because of system decisions. And it, I mean, even if they're mission-driven out of the goodness of their heart, they're, they're going to follow along and do everything they can to deliver. You've just created a way that uh, somewhat injures them in the process as a leader. They can't do everything that they want to do and feel good about doing what they, they need to do in that uh, structure. So we look a lot about holding harmless and aligning. You know, I think of, uh, we've got an administrator uh, here at our hospital I've worked with for a number of years, actually recruited him to Intermountain from Alaska. And uh, here a little bit ago, he moved to our old flagship hospital. So LDS Hospital was the Intermountain uh, flagship hospital until about 10 years ago when our new medical center was built out in the center of Salt Lake Valley. Um, and it's still a very robust community hospital. He's the administrator there. And he shared his story with us here recently uh, about when this change came. He was really uncertain what that would mean. He was kind of nervous about it and, and wasn't sure how that would play out. 
and really would he get the support that he needs when he has issues? And then he shared with us and a large team of leaders how wonderful it was when an issue arose and he could call on and had at his fingertips all of these system resources and how quickly those resources responded and that he had much more support than he would have ever had around a crisis issue uh, had he just been the standalone hospital. And it was kind of a great story that really reflects what we're trying to accomplish overall and to showcase the fact that our leaders have broadened support here, even though there was an initial fear, do you lose the support you had? Um, because all these people in the hospital reported to you, now you're connect they're connected across the system. But if uh, it works the way we want it to and the way that it needs to, to be successful, what we're targeting for, there's great support for our leaders and uh, they'll be very successful as they move ahead. But the realignment of incentives are critical. So their definition of success uh, fits with our definition of success. And I'm sure that that has an impact on the talent that is in those leadership positions and the way in which you recruit, um, attract, retain um, great talent to be the local leader uh, while maintaining a system a system focus. Would you, is that is that uh, safe to say that in terms of the assessment and development of folks, you're you're really looking for leaders that demonstrate that collaborative nature. Absolutely. You need leaders who are committed to that. Now, fortunately for us, uh, as I said, our folks are mission driven. They've been collaborative all along. So that wasn't the challenge hurdle for us, but it is an important piece and people need to be comfortable in their setting. And so if that's not in their DNA, then this is probably not a model you're going to be comfortable and successful in. Yeah. Our teams have been uh, done well and been successful in it. It's more just aligning those incentives and finding a comfort place for them. Uh, as they've moved along, and uh, I think they're making the transitions well. Yeah, that that's one of the challenges that we see in the work that we do with health systems, um, that w when leaders aren't mission-driven, um, because they've grown up in a system where it's been competitive, and so those behaviors have been, uh, uh, they've been given positive feedback and reinforcement. It's, it is a mindset shift, and it does require uh, concerted attention and effort. Um, it's not that these people are bad, but it's just that they grew up in a different type of system. Uh, much like when we look at physicians, you know, from, from, from back when you and I were much younger and being treated by, by physicians versus today, there is more of a focus on, on value than there was maybe 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to go back, I think you described it really well, that alignment of incentives. And when it's misaligned, it creates that competitive uh, piece when, you know, there are winners and losers. And I think in this model, if you align the incentives right, you have winners and winners. And people start to appreciate that they win together. And uh, that's a very powerful uh, formula. No doubt about it. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I'm excited to be where we are today in, in, in healthcare, because I think now is a time for us to really re-engineer the way in which care is delivered. Um, so I'm very excited. Um, next question. Intermountain has spent the past year reworking its organizational structure, as you just indicated. Through this transformation, how is Intermountain maintaining its high standards of patient care and aligning its employees to deliver a consistent patient experience? Yeah, through time of change, this is a challenge, right? Um, people can be distracted a little bit. What's amazing to me, Tracy, our, I, I talk about our people being mission-driven, and one of the best examples of that to me is what's happened this last year. There's no question our teams have been distracted. There's been a lot of questions. There's been a lot of change. They've been trying to figure out new things and new ways to work. Uh, but in the middle of all that, they have delivered consistently uh, improvement in the work that we're doing. 
So, you know, you engage the doctors and the nurses collaborating across the enterprise in this new structure. And we're seeing continued improvement in the outcomes for our patients. So the, 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 the best measure for me of success that we're having, our serious safety events last year in the middle of all that change went down 24%. Wow. <laughs> in a two-year period, 17 and 18 combined, our hospital-acquired infections have gone down 48%. Um, so, you know, and Intermountain's done well on a lot of these things in the past, and to continue that improvement journey in the middle of the distraction of change is a testament to the yeah. core of the people that we have. Uh, they, they are solid as rocks around the mission and why they come to work every day, and even in the middle of that, they continue to deliver. Excellent. Well, congratulations on that. That's amazing. Um, it does it does take a, a as I mentioned before, a concerted effort, and it's good that you're um, keeping track of these metrics along the way. And I imagine that that was a great rallying call for people to come together over over something that they can control. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, people want to make a difference when they come to work every day, and they're just looking for systems that support them in that process and in that journey. Yeah. So uh, Intermountain is oftentimes in the news in terms of all of the innovative uh, programs and services that you're creating. Uh, last year, Intermountain unveiled a virtual hospital and joined a population health coalition, invested in several startups, developed many cross-sector partnerships. These days, partnerships like these are common in order to generate more innovation and deliver high-quality care. Can you tell us about the importance of building relationships like these with other sectors and industries and what capabilities these partnerships have provided to Intermountain Healthcare and the populations that you serve? Yeah. When you think about uh, a hospital specifically, um, you can do a lot of things yourself. And because you have a very defined footprint of where services are provided, you have a very robust structure there. But when you start thinking about this across the continuum of, of someone's journey in life and you know our mission helping people live the healthiest lives possible there's no way that Intermountain can do all that ourselves and uh, we want to under our mission impact as many lives as we can and that requires by definition uh, connecting arms with others and in that linking arms process you've got to identify what you're trying to accomplish you've got to identify partners who are interested and have their own resource and expertise that can add to what we can bring to the table. And uh, together, I think we can accomplish even more uh, things in the future. You know, one example of that is the um, collaboration that we now have uh, entered into with the Utah Alliance for the Determinants of Health. It's a project that we originally started calling the Zip Code Project. You can, looking out the window from where I'm sitting uh, right now in downtown Salt Lake, you can see two different zip codes just here in Salt Lake City that the life expectancy is about 10 years difference depending on where you live, which zip code you're in. Um, so we're starting to think more about not just how do we provide rescue care and, and you know care in traumatic times of your life in major centers, but how do we impact people's journey in a meaningful way so that uh, in that journey we can make a difference in a way that keeps people out of our hospital. So specifically, what we're learning a bit are there are things such as food security, housing security, ability to travel and get around that actually have a huge impact on whether people are healthy or not. And so this coalition uh, here with Utah Alliance is looking at two zip codes um, across the state, not here in the Salt Lake Valley, one north of us, uh, about uh, 30, 40 miles, and one a couple hundred miles south of us uh, in areas that we have a high 
um, at-risk population. We already have in those zip codes about 8,000 people in our Medicaid ACO, so we do have some risk for those. But we're partnering with community and state agencies and looking at how we can impact not just in when you think of population health, those that we carry the risk for, but really community health, people who may not use our services at all. How can we impact their life journey and fulfill our mission more broadly? So it's exciting. We're looking forward to uh, what we learned from these two projects and uh, Intermountain's invested money along with these other agencies committing resource they have. And over the next couple, three years, we anticipate many learnings that we can then um, distribute response to more broadly and uh, hopefully bless more lives. I love that. I love that. And, and I do uh, appreciate the, fo the focus on social determinants, which, which makes such sense rationally. It's, but health systems, if you look historically, really haven't focused on, on social determinants. It's, it's been about that 10% of providing care that actually impacts overall health. Um, so I'm really happy to hear the, about the research project. And I am sure that there'll be additional innovations along the way that we'll hear from Intermountain Health. That is what population health is going to be about, right? If we can figure out how to impact upstream uh, versus the traditional business models of the past where you only had dollars flow to support when you gave care when somebody actually got sick. You know, that's that's the benefit of the value-based care, um, the, the, the funding around value, because I think you have to focus on the social determinants or you, you won't break even. So uh, there were two two innovative ideas that are uh, I've been reading about, and I'd love for you to explore this with me for our audience. Um, the first of which is uh, Civica RX and the virtual hospital concept. So if you could talk a little bit about what role Intermountain leaders have played in creating the collaborative partnerships required for these innovative ideas to become a reality, and maybe give a little bit of background about Civica RX and the virtual hospital for, for our audience as well. Yeah, no, happy to. So Civica RX, um, really exciting project, was the brainchild of Dan Lillianquist, who is our chief strategy officer. And then he and Mark uh, Harrison uh, partnered to move the idea forward and were able to get many other organizations connected to it. And the thought behind it was simply this. Um, we see a lot of gamesmanship happening in the marketplace, affecting in a negative way for the consumer the cost of pharmaceuticals, particularly generic drugs here we're talking about, where um, individuals who have a drug uh, cost suddenly overnight goes up 10, 20, even a thousand times what that drug cost before. And uh, we just think that's inappropriate. And frankly, we don't know how we can manage the overall cost of care over time for people and the affordability of healthcare if those types of things are going on. Now, that stated, there's a lot of good players in pharma, we believe, but there are some bad apples. Um, some have been you know, front and center on, on news media uh, with it. But the thought behind Civica RX is these, these aren't patented drugs anymore. Anybody can produce them. What we found was that uh, because of the flow of contracts, people who want to produce them have a huge investment to get started and uh, struggle to get them into the supply chain. And if they do start them, those who've been in the industry longer could drop the price and run them out of business. So. What we decided to do was see if others would be interested in joining along with us, and, and the collaborative was formed. And we have uh, about 33% of the nation's hospitals are committed or have expressed an interest in being a part of this organization. And uh, we're going to, in 2019, bring 20 drugs to the market. And we're using uh, long-term agreements with all the partner systems so that uh, we will sell the product out of uh, the production side, out of Civica RX, to all of us at slightly above the cost to produce it, just enough to maintain the organization and 
Civica has been set up in a way that it can never be sold. It's a community asset. It's a not-for-profit organization and, and will be there uh, for the benefit of the community. And we think we're going to make a difference with all these partners uh, in the cost of pharmaceuticals uh, here as we, we go forward uh, into the years ahead. Now, we're hopeful. When we started this, we said if we don't produce one drug at all and just the presence of it brings the bad actors in line so the drugs uh, cost reasonable amounts and stay in a reasonable place, that would be fantastic. Uh, this is really about assuring patients have access, timely access, and affordable access to the medications that they need. Excellent. Excellent. So, so logistically speaking, this will be the, um, the manufacturing and distribution of those uh, generic drugs at a lower cost than what they currently are today. Yeah. Uh, although I will say that uh, Civica may never directly manufacture the drugs. So they may contract that out. And so far, I think they've had success with uh, manufacturers' uh, plants that will produce and are ready and have capacity to produce at least the 20 drugs that uh, are coming on the market this Excellent. next year. Excellent. So, so it, it's the volume discount approach. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. That's great. And how, how about the, the virtual hospital? So the virtual hospital uh, is exciting for us. Uh, we talked about a little earlier that we want to reach people, provide them care when, when, where, and how they want it. And uh, so the virtual hospital looks at several things. It looks at direct-to-consumer. It looks at um, specialty care across the network. It looks at reaching services out to remote areas so people can get care where they're at but uh, through telehealth and remote technologies. And so this was a formation of a number of services we had in Intermount, bringing them together under one umbrella. Uh, specifically, one of the first pieces that we launched was our direct-to-consumer, our Connect Care, where for $49 or less, you can anytime on your tablet, your phone, your computer at home, connect with a clinician mm -hmm. and uh, get your needs met. It was interesting. We did a study before we launched that, and found that in our ERs, in our system, we had 51,000 patients treated in our ERs the year before that didn't need to be in the ER. They didn't need to be in our Instacares. They didn't need to be in their physician offices. They could be treated remotely. Um, so it's been exciting. Um, it's one of those things that will grow over time, but it gives us the opportunity to reach out and serve people where they're at, which is a different model. Traditionally, health systems value came, again, under the business models, reaching out and drawing people in. Um, we're looking at how to use technology to extend our services out and keep people where they're at and in their homes and in their locations. Um, mm, and give them the care they need. And we think we can do more and more of that in the future with technology and then be here in the central uh, locations when they need high-end stuff. In, in terms of a metric of success for the virtual hospital, will you be looking at pre-post emergency room visits um, over the course of several years to see whether or not uh, the virtual hospital had an impact? Yeah, so we look at, uh, that's one angle we will look at over time. Others will be things like, are we using the technology to consistently deliver care? An example on the not to consumer side, but more of the professional side, um, hospital to hospital support, stroke care. So we use telehealth to assure that every patient that walks in one of our 23 hospitals gets the same level of care for stroke if they have stroke symptoms. Um, and so we're using technology in lots of ways, and we're measuring those and showing how we're improving the response time and the care time, which means, in the case of the stroke, every second means uh, brain cells you've saved. Uh, and for many patients, it's the difference between having disability versus being fully functional again. You know, one of the other things we're excited about with that, Tracy, is you think about clinician burnout. 
And we know that that's a challenge today across the country. It's reported that 54% of physicians have some level of burnout. Yeah. Um, this technology will allow us to rationalize workloads for doctors too. Um, so you can take where a community may be able to support one or two of the, uh, specialists uh, and you can put a larger group together and support the needs of that community and, uh, and balance life better for the clinicians. So we think there's exciting opportunity here, first and foremost for the patient, but certainly also for our caregivers and how we create a better environment for them. Yeah. And I, and I think to your point, uh, there are always early adopters and then there are those naysayers as it relates to change and technology. So I'm, I'm curious as to how these new, both the organizational structure and some of the new innovations that you spoke uh, about today, how that, how that has influenced the dynamic among your staff, your physicians and the executives in providing care and what strategies you've used to create buy-in. Well, as we look at the change in the organization, you know, the one intermountain approach, how do we create consistency? Um, there were a lot of questions from our clinicians. What does that mean? How does that work? But as we move further down that road, I think uh, people are coming to understand that this is really an enhancement. And as we work together, it lightens the load. Um, we can do better. We can be more consistent. We can assure that the patients get what they need when they need it. And and we're seeing a lot of energy. And Intermountain has, you noted earlier, a great history of innovation. And um, this spurs that on. So if you balance right what we talked about, system-led, locally deployed, there's space in there for local innovation. Uh, what it does provide that we didn't have as effective before is quick ability to quickly adopt across the system. Mm. And uh, we're excited about that. And our clinicians start to get excited about that because they can see not only they can do something that impacts their patients, but if they find a better way, that can impact hundreds and thousands of patients uh, far outside their individual reach just because of the structures we've set up. So that gets mm. pretty exciting as well. Oh, that's great. That's great. So I have one concluding question for you, and we ask this of all of our podcast guests, and that is, what do you want your legacy to be as a leader across the health ecosystem? Uh, you know, as, as we look forward, I am grateful. Um, for the leaders who came before me in healthcare, and particularly at Intermountain Healthcare. Uh, having had the opportunity early in my career to be here, uh, first and foremost, they taught me. Uh, they boldly built a system that was a model and has stood as a model for many years. And I have the opportunity to do my work uh, on top of that great history. And, and I guess I want my legacy to be um, that I use their successes um, inner mountain successes of the past to further the great work um, that we need to do going forward and assure that along with our caregivers, we develop the future model system that delivers on the promise of helping people live the healthiest lives possible. So I'm excited to be a part of that journey with our caregivers and uh, build on a great history. And my legacy, I want to be a strong link in the chain that the others uh, coming after me can build on and add their links and we can continue this movement forward and, and uh, serve people the way that we're intended to serve them every day better than the day before. That's really beautiful. And I do want to acknowledge that 
folks like me and our listeners are learning from folks like you so that we can continue to do um, great work and uh, build upon your successes. So I want to thank you because we're, you know, we're all working together here to really change the paradigm to improve population health for the United States so that when we look at the statistics, it's not a shock to everyone to know that, you know, we're not doing that well as it relates to standards of care across other industrialized countries. So it, this is a real passion area. It's a big challenge and we all have to get into this fight together to, uh, to change the way in which we deliver care, the way in which we take care of people um, and overall population health. So I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Um, thank you, Rob Allen, for everything that you do and we'll continue to watch you along the way. Thank you, Tracy. For those of you interested in learning more about leadership, please visit us at TLD Group's website. Join us for more interviews with health ecosystem leaders during our podcast series. And of course, stay tuned for the release of our book entitled From Competition to Collaboration, How Leaders Cultivate Cross-Sector Partnerships to Deliver Value and Transform Health. Thank you for joining us.